0: Lawrence Edmondson, I don't know a ton, admittedly, about the country of Bahrain, but I do know that it is in the Middle East that you are there right now, and that is also where the Formula One season is about to start this weekend. And so, as you are at the precipice of this season, and you're surveying not just Bahrain, but the whole season in front of you, what are the big headlines here, if you have to boil it down, that are going to be of our interest in 2023?
1: Well, there's a huge amount to look forward to. We have 23 races, which is a record. And one of the new ones is Las Vegas. Mm. For a long time, F1's been trying to get itself into Vegas, uh, obviously into the US market. We had Miami as a new race. Last year, we've had Austin since 2012. So three races in the United States. And it's the penultimate race. So we could have a championship battle by that stage. So that's something that a lot of people are very excited about. And then at this time of the year, there's always the question of who's going to Be able to challenge for titles. Can anyone beat Max Verstappen?
2: Max Verstappen has taken the checkered flag to win the Japanese Grand Prix! World champion. Well, (laughs) what can I say? (laughs) Incredible, of course.
1: Last year they changed the regulations. So the parameters by which you could build these cars, the rules by which you could build them, they changed. And the idea was to improve the racing, to make it more exciting, to allow the cars to go wheel to wheel with each other.
2: As a Dutch driver, a Dutch national, and it is double Dutch delight for Max Verstappen, who crosses the line to win the Dutch Grand Prix. Fantastic, isn't it?
1: Red Bull got it right, and they really got it right. We've seen Ferrari and Mercedes struggle a bit last year with various different things. Mercedes, did not get it right. They got it very wrong, in fact, to the point that the car at certain circuits was almost undrivable. Lewis Hamilton has crashed, has gone into the barrier. Let's hope that
2: he's okay. I can see the crash.
1: Teams go into this part of the year hoping that they're going to do better than last year. But of course, not everyone can improve on last year. Some teams have to lose out. So for me, the big question going into this season is can anyone catch up, learn from the lessons of last year and take the fight to Max Verstappen?
0: The fight for American attention has never been more difficult. We have a zillion options now. We're all addicted to our phones. We're all scrolling infinite loops of short form videos, and you're probably doing that while listening to this podcast right now. But the growth of Formula One is a success story in this country unlike any other I can think of, because it is the story of a niche sport long beloved by science nerds overseas that has become a reality show unto itself in these United States. And so today, ESPN F1 editor Lawrence Edmondson catches us up from Bahrain on everything we need to know before the season starts on Sunday. And he tells us exactly how much has changed. I'm Pablo Torre. It's Thursday, March 2nd. And this is ESPN Daily.
3: Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue, and ready for the play. And boom, Anejo Tequila came in with the smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good.
0: So Lawrence, I should be clear that Formula One is this global enterprise that has had hundreds of millions of fans all across the world, which is part of the reason why you find yourself in this Middle Eastern country right now on the Persian Gulf, getting ready to kick off the new season in Bahrain. And that location as the place where F1 begins its season, what do you make of that?
1: Well, we've got used to the season starting here in Bahrain. And really, the reason we're here is uh, is the money that they contribute to Formula 1 in order to get that first race of the season reported to be around 45 million a year. Right. It still creates a, a nice vibe because you come here and the weather's very good. Formula 1 teams, when they're testing the cars, which is what they've been doing in the build-up to this first race, it's like a science experiment. You want to remove variables as much as possible. So if you go testing in Europe at this time of the year, you can have... Rain, you can have freezing cold temperatures in the morning. We've occasionally had snow testing in, in Spain at this time of year. Mm. So coming to Bahrain, they have all the variables level so they can get a really good understanding of their car.
0: The last time I had you on the show, we sort of marveled at the arc of your career watching this thing go from truly a, an obscure niche thing in America to now something that is surging In the United States itself, but for the people who are still on the outside of this, who are in the general audience, just give us the the kind of pecking order here at the top in terms of these racing teams. I know these are companies that we've probably heard of in different contexts, but explain how 2023 is looking for
1: all of them. Well, if we trace back to 2010, there are only two teams that have won Championships. So we're talking 12 years of racing and only two teams that have won championships. And that's Red Bull, who we talked about a little bit with Max Verstappen, of course, the reigning champions, and Mercedes, who we just talked about as well. Mm. And then the other big player is Ferrari, but they haven't won a championship for 13 years. They've finished runner up six times in that period, but they've never quite got it together. But the thing about Form One, because it is such an engineering led sport, you do end up with periods of dominance because when one group of engineers gets it right, they tend to then unlock more and more performance from the car. And the regulations in Formula One are quite restrictive. But once you start to understand them, and once you get a really good concept going, you'll hear teams talk about this a lot, their car concept. And once you have that, you can start to pick away more and more performance. Anyone that isn't doing that at the same rate gets left behind. So if you're a team that's picked the wrong concept at the start of a new set of regulations, not only do you have to figure out why, you then have to unpick it. And then you have to try and get back and catch up with the team that's got this brilliant idea that's unlocking a huge amount of performance going forward. So you really do end up with this big split between what we have, top three teams, Red Bull, Ferrari, Mercedes, and the rest
0: but it's very funny to me again as more of an outsider here that like yeah uh, Ferrari McLaren uh, Alfa Romeo Aston Martin just not not fast enough lords Like, sorry, sorry to these brands that I only know as being like uh, the fastest cars in the world. They aren't up to snuff because there is something essential about this sport that's different from the way we talk about, like the NFL, for instance, being a copycat league. It's actually really difficult, it seems, to be a copycat here when your engineering secrets are, in fact,
1: secrets. Exactly. And once you're copying, you know you're already behind because the other team has figured it out already and are on the next stage of that development path. The other thing I should say is that the margins are very, very small. When we talk about the margins between finishing in the top 10 in qualifying, which sets the grid for the race, and the bottom 10, we could be talking about half a second difference in lap time. Hmm. So the time it takes to do a 3.5-mile circuit, you know, the differences are measured in tenths of seconds. So they're not far off, but unlocking that last little bit is the key to Formula 1.
0: So here's where I want to introduce or reintroduce the sheer human element here, because Max Verstappen, the name that you mentioned, the name that a lot of casual sports fans now know as this young 25-year-old star, the sun in the Red Bull solar system, um, who has won the individual championship two years in a row now. There is the Constructors' Championship, the Team Championship, which Red Bull won, snapping Mercedes' run of eight straight titles. But Max Verstappen having this individual run now, I want to understand what he is like as as a person, as a driver. How do you put into perspective what he's
1: currently doing? It's very impressive. One, because of his age. He's some way off the big records in the sport, the hundreds free victories that Lewis Hamilton has to his name. But because he's so young and the trajectory he's on and how easy it all comes to him, I kind of feel like he's got the potential to do it if he wants to stay in the sport for another 10 years or so, which is entirely possible at his age. What's he like as a person? What's he like as an athlete? Well, he is just 100% dedicated to this sport. He absolutely loves racing, to the point that when he's not racing on the track in real life, he'll often be at home in his gaming chair, simulator, whatever you want to call it, racing against people online.
0: (laughs) Wait, what is Max Verstappen actual F1 superstar like in video games?
1: He's very demanding, in fact, just like he is on the real circuit. He took part in Le Mans 24-hour-style online race over the winter and his server kicked him off and he got very upset about it. <laughs> this is just incompetence. They can't even like control their own game. And this is already the third
2: time, it just happens to me now, that get kicked off the, the game while doing this race. Honestly, it's a joke. It's not even You cannot call this a, an event,
1: uh, a clown show. If you want to try and understand Max Verstappen, you have to understand his relationship with his father, who is a previous Formula 1 racer, raced from 94 through to about 2003. That's Jos Verstappen.
2: Jos Verstappen, from the back of the grid, is in the lead. What a race result. Jos Verstappen wins.
1: He was a very good racer himself, but never quite made it to winning championships. But with his son, you know, I mean, called it tough love, called it slightly worrying in in some aspects. He just made sure that his son was out there doing everything he needed to do to win races and to instill this winning mentality in him. And you know what? It's worked because Max is a winning machine.
2: It's all well that ends well for Max Verstappen taking the line, winning the Belgium Grand Prix. It's a ninth victory in Formula One in 2022 for the reigning world champion,
0: If Red Bull is now the clear favorite, I'm wondering where are the tensions underneath the surface here? Like maybe they are expected to dominate, but what are the potential
1: challenges here? Well, one relationship that every Formula 1 team has to manage, certainly when you start winning races and going for championships, is is the relationship between the two teammates.
0: Right, because each team in Formula 1 has two drivers on the grid, as they call it.
1: They're meant to work together. Um, you know, that's what every Formula 1 team wants. They want their two drivers working together, helping to develop the car, coming back with feedback to make it go faster. But of course, they're also fighting each other. And when you're going for wins and championships, they're fighting each other for their childhood dream, a title. In Max's case, it will be a third consecutive title. Only four other drivers in the sports history have, have achieved that. In Sergio Perez, Checo Perez's Mexican teammate, the dream is just to win the first title. Hmm. We already saw last year that there were a few fireworks along the way at the Brazilian Grand Prix, by which point Max had already sealed his second title. He was running ahead of his teammate. And in a teammate scenario, um, Red Bull were trying to allow Perez to secure second place in the championship. And so he needed all the points he could get. So the team asked, Max, can you move aside? Let Checo through. It's the last lap of the race. We want to get the points for Perez. And Max didn't do it.
2: Let Checo through
1: Max, let Checo through, please.
2: Max, what happened? I told you already last time. You guys don't ask that again to me. Okay? Are we clear about that?
1: (laughs) (laughs) That says a lot about his winning mentality. But at a time when Red Bull had won a championship, won both championships, both the Drivers' and the Constructors' Championship, they were still having to deal with the relationship and manage the relationship between their two drivers.
0: Yeah, look, underneath the hood, um, I'm using inadvertently all of these puns, but underneath the hood of this sport, there are like familiar ego management dynamics that you find in sports. And the name that I feel like, the ego that I think the most casual fan knows about is Lewis Hamilton, who you've already mentioned. And Lewis Hamilton... What his ego took in terms of a hit last year is is staggering, right? I mean, he was winless. Mercedes, as he said, was third behind Ferrari and Red Bull. This was after a decade of just utter dominance. And so at 38 years old, as the record holder for most races won ever, as arguably, yeah, the best to ever do it, Lawrence, is this the end? Like, not to go Tom Brady on him, but like, does he have another run
1: in him? Where, where are we with Lewis Hamilton? That's a very good question. And when you say winners, winners for the first time in his career, every other season in his career, he's won at least one race. And he didn't last year. And you're right. That was very, very tough to take. And, you know, it wasn't his fault. He didn't drive in a way that was really any worse than previous years. It's just the car was not capable of competing for victories last year until the very end of the season when his teammate, George Russell, took a victory in Brazil. And, you know, I don't think that went down particularly well with Lewis Mm. either. So, um, yeah, it's tough. And is he going to retire? Well, he said very openly that he wants to extend his contract. Uh, His contract currently comes to an end at the end of this year. He sees several years more in the sport. And I think he realizes that if he is going to win another championship, and it will be an eighth world title, which is a record, because at the moment he's tied on seven titles with Michael Schumacher. So if he's going to come back and win more titles than any other driver in the history of the sport, it's probably going to take a few years. So uh, I don't think we've seen the last of Lewis Hamilton yet. But look, if the car is uncompetitive again this year, it will be very interesting to see how he deals with it. And so the third team at the top here,
0: uh, Ferrari. I do want to put a button on them. I understand they have these two talented drivers, Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz. But what needs to actually happen for Ferrari and those two names to make an actual run at Red Bull?
1: Well, they nearly did it last year. So last year at the start of the season, at this time of the year, they were the team to beat going into the first race. They won the first race. In fact, they won two of the first three. And Charles Leclerc had a big, big lead over Max Verstappen after uh, four races. So they almost had everything they needed back then. But Ferrari, I don't know. Um, it's there's <laughs> something about that team where things just tend to go wrong, fall apart, be it the strategy. They had issues with reliability. And as I mentioned earlier, they've come so close so many times over the past 13 years, which is the period in which they haven't won a title. You know, they've been runner-up so many times, but they've never just quite had the edge. And I feel like maybe it's still missing. At the end of last year, team principal Mattia Bonotto, he was basically pushed out, officially he resigned. And they brought in a team principal from a lower team, Alfa Romeo, a guy called Fred Vasseur. Probably a more charismatic individual and has shown real strong leadership skills. Having seen the way he's approached the start of the season, the way he's been able to put a slight cap on expectations while also addressing some of the issues that were there from last year, I feel like he could be the right man to to make that, uh, that extra step for Ferrari.
0: Coming up, what it's going to look like when F1 takes its first step in Sin City.
3: Shopping for Father's Day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Father's Day. Whether you're shopping for your brother's first Father's Day or your renaissance man grandpa, whose interests, of course, are all over the map, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas that you can easily pick out something special to celebrate them both. You can shop by price, anywhere from $25 and under to $100 and over. You can also sort by category, like cologne, watches, and more. Or gift lists for items like, I don't know, your grill master or golfer in your life. You can also get top tech, from Beats headphones to JBL portable speakers. Or if you're looking for top brands, you'll find gifts from Calvin Klein, Polo Ralph Lauren, and Columbia. So what are you waiting for? Father's Day is June 16th, and we'll be here before you know it. Macy's offers the ultimate gift guide to making selecting something special for dad incredibly easy this year. Head to macy's.com slash gift today. That's Macy's.com slash Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code DAILY. That's code DAILY. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live.
0: So Lawrence, it is worth noting here that the F1 experiment on ESPN has been also been working so far. By the end of the season, numerically, we're talking about as many as a million viewers tuning in on these Sunday mornings to watch these races, which is super encouraging for a sport trying to grow in this nation still specifically. And so how do you explain the why? Why in this fragmented sports and media landscape is F1 working, do you think?
1: Well, what it fundamentally comes down to is the owners of Formula One, Liberty Media, who took control of the sport in 2017, targeted the United States as an area for growth. And part of that is the new races. We've got Miami came on last year. We've got Vegas coming in this year. A big part of it was Drive to Survive, the Netflix show. Mm -hmm. The realization that you have all these wonderful characters in Formula One. Well, how do you get them across to somebody who doesn't want to sit down and watch 20 cars follow each other around a circuit (laughs) uh, every Sunday morning? Well, you put cameras in them, you have fly-on-the-wall microphones where they can pick up the conversations, the bits where the true characters, the true personalities come out.
0: You make a soap opera, Lawrence. You make you a do. soap opera.
1: <laughs> you essentially do make a soap opera. And um, and then we were very lucky in that the regulations kind of created a situation where in 2021, we had one of the best title battles of all time in Formula One, and I'm not exaggerating by saying that, between Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton where it came right down to the final race, right down to the final lap.
2: Here comes Lewis Hamilton, though, down the back straight. He's got a slipstream. He almost touches Verstappen. They almost make contact into turn nine. Verstappen stays ahead of Lewis Hamilton. Of all the drama, of all the controversy, of all the magic moments in Formula One in 2021, it comes down to this.
1: And And so I think a lot of people were hooked from that point onwards
2: can only be won by one, and it's going Dutch in 2021. Max Verstappen, for the first time ever, is champion of the world.
0: Well, let's talk about the Americanism, though. The increasing Americanization, so to speak, of, of the sport insofar as, hey, um, in November, there's going to be this Las Vegas Grand Prix, which is going to be scheduled to run annually through 2025. And so Vegas, as this next sort of pin on the risk board for Formula One, how did
1: that specifically come together? Well, Formula One wanted, they said, destination cities. That's what we want. We want to host races on the streets of destination cities. And there is... You know, in the United States, Las Vegas is right up there as a, as someone from the UK. Uh, it's a place that has always lived large in my imagination and uh, I, I have visited. <laughs> and so it's a place that um, I think, you know, you can really build a lot of excitement around um, the fact that they're going to be racing down the strip, past some of the casinos.
0: Right. I mean, one of the visually arresting aspects of the sport is that when you do flip it on early in the morning on ESPN, you will suddenly find these cars racing through actual cities, like not on a track as in NASCAR, but sometimes through a historical town somewhere. But in Vegas, this would be them speeding past like the Bellagio Fountain in a literal way.
1: That's right. And uh, doing so with very little margin for error. A factor or a characteristic of a street circuit is that you have concrete barriers right next to the track. Now, lots of purpose-built tracks we go to, so... Places like Silverstone, Monza. You have these big areas where if the cars have an accident, they have plenty of space to essentially stop before anything nasty happens. A street track, it's right there. The barriers are right there by the circuit. And Las Vegas, I think, is going to be like that. Of course, there will be safety precautions in place. It all has to be signed off by the FIA, which governs safety. But it's, it's going to be a high-speed circuit with long straights, 90-degree corners for the most part. With Las Vegas, they've made real efforts, given what they're dealing with, which is basically retrofitting a race circuit around a city, which is not an easy thing to do. Uh, They've made big efforts to try and make it exciting to make sure that when F1 does turn up to Vegas among all this hype, it delivers and it delivers good racing.
0: Yeah, Lawrence, at the end here, it occurs to me that the job you have is pretty remarkably different in perception than it used to be. <laughs> You're describing going to Vegas, taking these trips around the world to Monaco. You're in Bahrain right now. Your expense reports must be um pretty wild. But also I imagine when you explain what you do to people who are on the outside, there's probably a
1: different set of reactions than when you first started. Well, it's nice in the United States. I went to the first race in Austin in 2012, and it was really a case of people not knowing what Formula One was. You'd say you work for ESPN in Formula One, they'd know the ESPN bit, but they wouldn't know the Formula One bit. That's certainly changed. I love sharing my passion for the sport with with other people. I love trying to get them excited about it. Trying to get them into the engineering side as much as the sporting side and the personality side. The great thing is is that the more people get into it, the more they want to know about that kind of stuff. You know, there's one thing watching a race on Sunday and let's say we get an unexpected result where Lewis Hamilton wins and Max Verstappen second. Well, you know, is it enough just to turn off the TV and think, well, that's what happened? People want to know why. You know, a lot of fans, as soon as they get hooked, as soon as they start watching their first few races, They want to know more and more and more and get into the granular detail of it, which um, I find fascinating. And yeah, I think increasingly people feel the same.
0: Lawrence Edmondson, thank you for, yeah, our, our personalized engineering debrief on ESPN Daily. My pleasure. I'm Pablo Torre. This has been ESPN Daily